Something if you want to, Tammy. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, puppies and kittens, and everybody else that's breathing this under my voice. I want to thank y'all for tuning in to another episode of The Audacity. Now, today we have a very, very special segment because now it seems like we're turning the corner to where um, us as a people, we're starting to get ready. We're, 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 it's, mental health is starting to be a, a thing that's, that's commonly spoken. Um, you know, it was something that, that, that you would kind of sweep under the rug. I know, especially when I was growing up. You never heard the elders or the uh, the guardians talking about uh, checking your mental health. Well, today things have changed, and we are all about mental health, uh, especially uh, given the climate that we're in right now, stuck in the house <laughs> for what two months now. Uh, right. So, so, with no further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce my good friend, Miss Tammy Von uh, Nordham. I know it's going to Miss Tammy Von Nordham, everybody. Thank you. How you been? I've been great. How are you? I've been good. I've been good. Uh, I want to give a little back backstory. I met Tammy at the Punchline Comedy Club when I was a full-fledged uh, comedian. Uh, one of my good friends, Chelsea Rice, uh, introduced us. You're from Tacoa, too, right? That's right. Tacoa, yeah. Georgia. Yeah, yeah. And ever since then, I've seen I've seen Tammy just uh, excel through everything. Like you, you're an actress, you're a model, you're a photographer. Now you're a mental uh, mental health therapist, a motivational speaker. That's there's right. no there's no stopping once you once you get that gas behind you. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about that. Um, how how did you go from being talent to now being a mental health therapist? Well, Jamil, this all started way back when I was in the seventh grade. I've known ever since that I was in, ever since I was in the seventh grade that this is something I wanted to do. And it's personal for me because what I did was I started noticing the dysfunction in my own family. And I used to ask questions of myself on like, why do people do the things they do? Why do people act and behave the way they behave? And those questions led me to want to find the answers to that. And as I was searching for those answers, I discovered that there was a whole world out there where people actually could get help for mental health issues. They could get help for the stress and the anxiety and the depression that they carried with them. And when I realized that, I knew then that that's what I wanted to do. And I think that I've always had this helping spirit about me, just wanting to help people feel better, help people to be better. And so when I discovered that there was an actual career where people could do that, that's what I wanted to do. And so even though I'm just now getting to that 
point where I can actually do it as a business, you know, with my degrees and, and everything, it's never left me. I've always known this is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So being that you were in the entertainment industry too, do you notice a, a, a large portion of your, your colleagues and peers that, that need uh, some, some help uh, getting their mental, um, their mental faculties back together? Um, actually, I think there's a piece of everybody in this world that could use some help with trying to find balance in their mental health wellness. The, 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 the thing is that a lot of us don't realize that there is actually help for us because a lot of times people see mental health therapy as something that means that you're crazy or you're insane or you have some deep, dark issue that you have to be medicated for. And that's not true. We can seek mental health therapy just for having anxiety, um, just for being depressed. And a lot of us carry a level of anxiety and depression with us daily, but we don't always recognize that that's what it is. And so for me, it's really important for me to try and help um, get the word out there that mental health therapy can be a form of self-care. It does not have to mean that you have to be um, committed or that you have to be on some heavy medication. It's simply about having someone there that you can talk to, that you can have a whole space for you as, you as you try to navigate the journey of understanding why certain things are the way they, they are, how you might have contributed to it or not, and, and coping skills and what you can do about, um, about certain things. It's about having um, the support there that you didn't really realize that you needed. Because a lot of times people look for support in friends and family People who are, um, excuse me, people who are not necessarily trained in offering that type of help. And when they don't receive it, sometimes they feel worse because they start to feel like they're all alone and they're, they have to just start keeping things to themselves. And, and what happens then is it, it just becomes toxic and it starts to grow inside of them until they get to a point of having a breakdown or, or a moment of crisis. And then that's when it hits them that, oh, maybe I should go see a therapist. But no, people can go see a therapist before it even gets to that point and hopefully avoid getting to that point. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason why I specifically said the entertainment sector is because as a comedian, I see there's a huge um, um, there's a there's a huge need for mental health, uh, you know, therapy in the entertainment sector. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of a lot of comedians, we, we deal with a lot of uh, baggage and. Uh, essentially the stage is the counselor is the counseling chair but a lot of times um you'll find that even that becomes um that isn't enough at times and 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 you spoke of of anxiety and people not realizing certain uh certain things that would, would classify as anxiety and i remember growing up as a kid now that i'm in my uh, 40s I recognized that uh, I was dealing with a lot of anxiety from a lot of different uh, uh, reasons, but mm -hmm. then I didn't, I didn't know what it was. I just know that whenever I get into these certain situations, like my, my body would just shut down and I just kind of like, this is really happening. And kind of like the, the world is just going like in fast motion or something like that. And it wasn't until I got older and I started to recognize some things. And then because this became a popular topic, and I was like, oh, that's what this is. So then I started looking further into that and then realizing this triggers me. 
this, so, you know, um, there's certain things about me from growing up that I, I never want to quit anything. Mm. But I find sometimes you need to quit certain things. You need to take because, a break. Yeah, because that whatever it is could be really bringing you down and causing you to, to experience some bad mental uh, health things. And another thing that you spoke about was identifying uh, sort of self-reflecting some of the things that we're causing on ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, do, do, do you find it um, difficult for people to be able to take responsibility and accountability for that, for the things that they're causing on themselves that's, that's, that's creating a toxic environment? Because I know a lot of people that uh, they create a toxic environment and then they'll blame the people that reacted to Mm -hmm. on certain things that they triggered. Mm -hmm. um, yes, I, I do find that happens quite often because we don't necessarily want to think that it's us personally that are hurting ourselves. We don't want to see that because why, why would anybody voluntarily want to hurt themselves um, mentally and emotionally that puts them in such a bad state, right? So it's like we can't really see how, how that would be happening. But what happens is, there's a lot of negative self-talk that goes on in a lot of our heads. It creates doubt. It creates uh, self-esteem issues. It creates in, uh, insecurities. And um, when that happens, we don't always understand or, and know how to, to flip that with positive self-talk. And so um, I want to go back to when you were talking about comedians and the stage and a lot of them have... Um, a lot of issues, you know, it made me think about Robin Williams, you know, it's like nobody ever knew that he was, had been thinking about, well, I say nobody, you know, maybe somebody, some people close to him, but the majority of the world had no idea that he would have committed uh, and completed suicide because we didn't realize how, how unhappy and how sad and how depressed he was. And, and I think I read something someplace where he used to feel like, uh, and, and don't quote me, but he used to feel like if he made people laugh, then that was going to help cover up his own sadness. That was going to kind of maybe bring him happiness. But what, what was probably happening was he was, he, he, he was trapped, challenged to discover what it was that was deeper inside of him that was making him depressed and sad. And so, um, and just fighting with that over, over decades, took him to where he, he eventually ended up going. And that's really sad because when we look at comedians on stage and they're making us laugh, we're thinking, uh, a lot of us are probably thinking to ourselves, you know, they must have like the best life. They're always making people laugh. They might, they probably make themselves laugh. You know, they are so funny or they are so good or, and they don't realize that the struggle and the challenge that you guys may face is like, wow, you know, am I going to be making people laugh today? Are they going to just sit there stonewalled, you know, with, a, you know, like a deadpan face? Um, if that happens, like, you know, I got to kind of figure out how to navigate around it. Uh, when it comes to actors and, and models, especially actors, we have to expect to have 99 rejections before we get a, a, a that first yes that says you booked a job. Mm -hmm. And then you do that cycle all over again. So you, if you think about it, you are constantly being um, placed in a position of being told no and being told um, and not even knowing why you were told no. It doesn't necessarily mean that you weren't talented enough. It doesn't necessarily mean that you weren't uh, attractive enough. It just means you weren't right for that part. 
And when it comes to comedians, I don't know, I don't really understand how it is that you guys get booked, but I imagine you go through some similar processes, just trying to, you know, get somebody to book you for their stage or book you for a tour and, and give and pay you what you're worth, you know, because you're trying to make a living at it. So there's a there's an internal struggle that goes on inside of uh, uh, talent. I say talent, meaning actors, models, uh, comedians, all of them, there's a certain struggle that goes on with, uh, inside of us that has to constantly tell ourselves, you are good enough, in spite of the fact that you might not have booked that, or don't, don't stop, keep trying, keep going, keep pushing, you know, redirect it and shift just a little bit, make it a little bit different. We are constantly having to give ourselves self-talk. And if you, if you are not aware that this is going to happen and you just jump into this industry, then it's going to be very challenging for you to stay in the industry and not really be affected by it. And I'm really hoping that if there's a lot of actors or comedians or models watching this segment, that they will actually consider, um, you know, getting therapy, even if they don't feel like they, they need it right now. Uh, sometimes we, you know, we can be depressed for years and not realize it. I myself, I uh, was depressed for at least seven years before I finally started seeing a therapist, but I didn't know I was depressed. Can you imagine that? Going seven years and not having a clue that you were depressed the whole time because you're still getting up and you're still functioning, you're still doing what you have to do, you're still smiling, you're still going through your daily activities, but there is still something missing. And, and, and it was not until I saw a therapist for something else that was happening in my life that as we began to peel back the layers and unpack all that baggage that I realized I've been depressed for like seven years. And you know what it did for me? It helped to pull me into a place of like, yes, now I know what was going on. Now I can work towards, you know, fixing that. Because if we know what the problem is, then it gives us a better opportunity to go in and try to address it. But when we don't know what the problem is, then we continue to sludge along in the mud and in the blurred lines and to sink deeper, feeling as if we're not good enough or we're no good, not realizing that we're not alone in this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the thing, the thing about um, comedy, when you, the, the funniest things in comedy typically are the most painful most traumatic events that that comedian had to experience, he or she just couldn't speak about it right then and there. Mm. It came out later. Like the, the, the rule of thumb is comedy is pain and pain is comedy. And so there was times, so I went on sabbatical in 2016 and I was at the height of my comedy, you know, career as far as like material, uh, the bookings were, were like, I was traveling around the country a little bit, but certain jokes because of uh, some of um some of my background and some of the trauma that I experienced as a child coming up into a, to an adult, um, I would speak on that as far as my material mm. and the crowds would be laughing hard and the harder the crowds laugh, the more angry I was. Mm. And when I noticed, I got off the stage one day and my heart was pumping cause I had an amazing set and I was like, I need to take a break because I don't think that I should be this angry while everybody else was laughing. Mm. So yeah, and, it, and it's, it's, there's so many um, intricate parts to that. I, I've done um, a workshop, an acting workshop for uh, young men before, and for mm -hmm. younger, younger kids when I, uh, when I was trying to cast for my first short film. 
mm-hmm. I was looking for a child. But what I noticed that a lot of the the talent that that are pursuing these different art forms, they are experiencing so much trauma in their lives as young people mm-hmm. that it's it's extremely hard for them to focus and really get what they're supposed to do right there in that scene because there's they're dealing with so many so many things coming against them like am I good enough and mm-hmm. am I gonna get booked and then you got things that happened to him as a child in the background just playing soccer behind it like do 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 and so you know you deal with a whole bunch of things especially if you're not um, aware that this is what you're dealing with just like you said you was depressed for seven years mm-hmm. and listening to that somebody might be like dang that's a long time but I've been depressed a lot throughout my life so you know seven years like my whole almost my whole childhood almost there were like pockets of depression for various reasons and then they kind of came together and mm-hmm. then you become an adult and you 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 pick up baggage along the way right. um and speaking of this do you think um so i think it is but i could be wrong do you think depression is a part of life and if not then if it's not supposed to be a part of life there's there's not one person that i know that hasn't experience depression? Yes, I actually do. I feel like depression is almost a part of everybody's life. And at some point in time, we will all experience some level of uh, depression um, for one reason or another. And like you said, you went through different pockets of it, you know, for various reasons. And at some point they started to all meld together. Now, um, you know, we may not always realize uh, or recognize the depression that's in us, but we experience it. And it's like, sometimes we don't uh, understand that it was there until we've matured a lot more and, and then come to a point of realizing that, you know, when I, you know, was it going through X, Y, Z, then I wasn't happy, you know? And so um, I believe that also that what one person is depressed about um, might not necessarily, de- you know, be depressing for another person. But what we have to understand is that uh, that depression is very real for the person who's experiencing it. And it it is really important for us to not ever diminish or dismiss mm. another person's level of depression for whatever reason they're depressed about, because it can be very harmful to them. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like somebody, it's like you're saying, you know what, um, I don't like cookies and, and cake. And somebody gives you a look like, why not? Everybody should like cookies and cake because it's sugar and it's sweet. It's like, yeah, but I don't like it. And then somebody wanted to argue with you down. It's like, that. you just don't know what you're missing. It's like, no, I said, I don't like it, period. I said what I said. Why are you going to try to convince me otherwise? I know what I like. So that's, you know, that's kind of, you know, an analogy on how you have to view when somebody admits and and acknowledges that they are depressed um, and not, not kind of twist it because that's not something that would have depressed you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know, I know a couple of people that that's their, that's their jam dismissing how you feel. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it says, more about, it says more about them than it does about the person that they're trying to dismiss, because it could be that they have actually personally experienced that same depression, but they're in denial. Exactly. They're fighting it. They don't want to face it because guess what? If that's depressing you, 
oh my God, that means I'm depressed too. And I don't want to be depressed. I'm going to choose to not be depressed. Sometimes it's not necessarily a choice. Now you can choose to choose and be happy, but you, you, it's not as easy to choose to not be depressed because there are certain things that you have to factor in that might have happened to you that led to this point. But what you can do is choose to get support and get help for those feelings that you are feeling. Mm -hmm. One thing that um, that's really important to me when it comes to mental health um, is, is noticing, noticing that somebody like the, so the people in your circle, everybody should be pushing everybody forward. Everybody should be helping out at whatever capacity that they can. So whenever I'm in an environment where there's somebody younger than me, and I say that because when I was younger, I didn't have a lot of people that are like me today around me to get the certain, uh, some of the game, you know, that, that I have now. And so when I'm around uh, younger people, I often, of course, I, I fill them out a little bit and see where they're at. And then if, if I can, if I notice a little inkling, inkling of uh, like depression or something, mm. I kind of give my, my experience to try to help them see that, Hey, you're not in this by yourself. But I, I looking at some of my, um, up, some of my, up, some of my upbringing, I noticed that a lot of adults don't really pay attention to their children as far as that's concerned. Maybe they're not aware that it's important or I don't, I don't know, but what are some things that you think a parent can do to sort of uh, recognize if their child might be actually suffering from some form of uh, depression or, you know, mental anxiety? You know, that's a good, um, that's a good uh, question. And I want to begin by addressing the fact that some parents don't seem to be aware of what their that the fact that their child may be going through something, um, say depression. And I want to address the fact that a lot of times parents may be going through something on their own that prevents them from being able to see how their child is being affected by something else. So a lot of times, um, you know, my, my primary clientele isn't teens or children, but the few times that I have seen them, what I've noticed is that what's going on with the, the child or the teen can be traced back to, I mean, especially if it's an issue they're having with their parents. Um, if I ask enough questions, what usually happens is it circles back around to like the parents' upbringing. So the parents probably went through some traumatic experiences that they have not talked to um, or shared with their own child that caused them to, to operate in the way that they're operating, which can also cause them to miss some key, um, key moments that would let them know that their child is struggling with something. And um, so, so when it comes to like how a parent can be more aware if their child is dealing with something, there's several things. So like uh, a, a few things that come to mind are, one, um, are you noticing whether or not your child is eating a lot more or eating a lot less? And is this a time that they would actually be going through some sort of a growth spurt? And if not, then, you know, you know, be, be more alert and, and sit your child down and, you know, try to figure out 
you know, are you extra hungry these days or are you, um, why, why don't you have an appetite? You know, normally you usually finish everything that's on your plate. Um, another thing to watch for is if your child um, seems um, kind of like zoned out and, and choosing to uh, isolate themselves, not hang out with a group of friends that they normally would have wanted to hang out with or um, talking or having um, any close friends that you see them communicating with. If your child is uh, sleeping more than normal, if your child is waking up often in the middle of the night or wetting their bed or um, having nightmares and, and potentially sharing that with you. Um, if your child becomes destructive, like suddenly it's like, wait a minute, you, you know, throughout your entire toddler life and your, you know, six-year-old and eight-year-old, you know, um, time spans, I've never known you to be so destructive, but all of a sudden you're taking things apart or you're tearing things or you're ruining things in the house, you know, pay attention to that. And, and instead of jumping to punish them and to discipline them for what obviously, you know, would make a lot of people angry, have a conversation with your child and say, you know what, it, it's not, it's not a good thing that you did what you did, but that's just, you know, I feel like there might be something that you want to talk about. Um, is there anything that's been bothering you lately? And give the child an opportunity to share with you. If the child stays closed up or says no, don't just drop it and move on or punish the child for what they did. Try again and say, well, you know what, it's okay if you don't want to talk right now. Uh, when you're ready, I'm here and I'm going to just check back with you. Check back again later that day or in the next day or so and say, I want you to feel comfortable that you can talk to me. And I don't want to punish you for what you did because I feel like there's a reason why you did that. And I'm here to listen. So approaching your child in that way, paying attention to you know, abnormal behavior that's not consistent with how the child has always been is very important. And also understanding like if your child suddenly refuses or doesn't want to go over to the grandparents' house or to um, a neighbor's house or, you know, kind of grows withdrawn and quiet if a certain person comes to the house. Those are indications that there is something else going on. And, and, you know, it's really important to talk to the child. If the parent gets to a point where the child, you know, is not sharing anything, then I would suggest, you know, finding a therapist that child that might be able to get some of this out of the child through play therapy that you have not been able to get out of them. Don't just dismiss it and say, well, they'll, you know, they'll grow out of it. They'll be okay. Or they're just looking for attention. Mm -hmm. But that's never a good idea. Yeah. And I've, I heard a lot of, a lot of that from different uh, <laughs> uh, elders growing up. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you, you know, another trending thing that I've studied, I've, I've read a few case studies and watched a couple of documentaries, but it also shows how, social media is uh, harmful to, uh, you know, mental stability and things of that nature. And before social media, it was, I read how the, um, the, 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 the vanity industry kind of attacked women, which caused women to buy more of the products because uh, women would look at these images that were heavily Photoshopped that weren't real women in the first place but look at those images and be like, and then look at themselves and be like, I'm not worthy or I'm not good enough unless I do this. And so speaking of this, the social media stuff, like I was talking to a coworker today. He said, yeah, man, I had to take uh, 10 days off because I couldn't stay off of social media. <laughs> He's like, it was like, a, he was like a crackhead to it. Um, so why is 
that's something that that isn't really addressed because I see a lot of parents unknowingly sort of forcing their children to social media. You know, like the mom will be playing with the phone and trying to put their kids on and the kids be like, no, I don't want to be on it. And it's like a struggle. And the kids are like, I don't want to be on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, I think if the ch- child ever gravitates to that, then, I mean, they may become sort of addicted in a bad way to that. Mm-hmm. Well, I like that you're addressing this. And, and when you talk about addiction to social media, I, I saw this little video a couple of weeks ago where this toddler who had to be like two, three years old, fumbled with a phone, propped it up on the uh, the bumper of a, a car or an SUV, backed up and started doing like, you know, little dances. <laughs> and somebody commented, well, we know whose mom does TikTok, you know. <laughs> and so <laughs> while it was cute, it, it, it was concerning that this is what she knows. Um, I've seen um, instances where where parents are forcing their child to do these videos. I say forcing, I don't know for sure, but sometimes it appears that way when, you know, the kid acts a certain way. You know, I'm always studying body language and, you know, looking at that, the silence in certain things. But um, a kid, you know, the the parent sets the kid up to do um, unboxing videos, to create YouTube channels so that they can monetize them. Mm -hmm. And, be like the celebrity kids who get an automatic following just because their parents are celebrities, which then make it simple and easy for them to monetize. And so the parents like, you know, as regular parents, you know, when, when we feel like, Oh, my kid could do that because that kid's not even doing like that great of a job. What we don't realize is we're trying to force and we're teaching our kids to try to be like that person over there instead of honoring and embracing who they are. And so it's not healthy to really force your child to be on social media. And um, I can relate to those parents who want to put their kids on social media because they're proud of them. They want to share them. I can relate to that. However, I, my kids don't want to be on it. They just, they get angry if I'm like, you know, can we do a selfie together so I can post it or, Oh, you look so cute doing that. Or you look adorable today. Can I, you know, can I take your picture? Cause I want to post it or do a video of you singing or doing whatever their talent is. And they're just like, are you doing a video? Don't post this. <laughs> you know, and they get angry at me and I'm just like, okay, I won't do it. So, when they got to an age, well, social media wasn't really out like it is when they were younger. But now that it is, and I really want to share them, they're at an age now where they can express to me how they feel about it. And it's up to me and up to the parents to respect that. Because one, it teaches the child that you are hearing them, that they are be, they're being heard. It teaches them that they matter. Because otherwise, if you do it anyways, it's like, well, what, is, what do I matter? Because, you know, they're not listening to my feelings about it. It can incite uh, some insecurities in them because for whatever reason, they don't want to be on social media. They start to feel, um, they might feel as if they're being judged. Like people are going to pick it, like how their hair looks, what they're wearing, their body size. And they don't want that. Um, because there's been times when I would say to my kids, I won't tag you or, you know, nobody knows you personally, or this is just going to be for the family. They don't care. So mm-hmm. I have to, I've had to learn to be okay with it. Although it made me sad because I wanted to share them, not because I wanted to force them to become performers or something. 
but just because I wanted to share them. But there's, there's a lot of parents out there who are putting their kids on there. And I think that it can be uh, potentially damaging for the kids if the kids are telling their parents, no, I don't want to do it, or I'm tired, or I don't feel like it. But, um, you know, it, it, it's up to the parent to realize that and recognize that because eventually they're going to teach the kid to rely on the, the likes and the follows and the acceptance from other people, from strangers that they don't even know to validate their worth. And that's mm. not what we want or what we need in this society. Right, right, exactly. Do you have any mental health routines that you do for your family, like maybe weekly, monthly, or whenever you just see fit, like you see that there's a need for it? Any what routines? Like any mental health, like checkups? Yes, yes, I do. Um, at least once a week, um, if not more, a lot of times it's more, but at least once a week, I'll, uh, you know, go up to one of my, I have two kids, I'll go up to one of my children and, um, you know, give her a hug or, or give her a kiss on the cheek or the forehead and just say, how are you feeling today? Uh, or I'll say, you know, is everything okay? Is there something that you need to, you know, you'd like to talk about? Uh, we try to have at least one uh, family meeting a week where each one of us can share something that might have been bothering us through the week or that we could potentially improve on, um, that we need to alert the rest of the family about. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, okay, you have a dentist appointment this week, you have this appointment this week, and we're gonna have a uh, family time where we put together puzzles or play board games or watch a movie together um, and it's, you know, your turn to pick out the movie so we can start researching it. So I try to do that. Um, I'm not saying that that's what everybody else has to do. I mean, even if you just check in with your, your kids twice a month, that's better than nothing at all. Because you know what, especially old school, new school might be a little different, but especially old school, there were, there weren't hardly any times when parents would seek out their children to actually get their opinion on how they're feeling or what their needs or wants were. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a time where it's like, you do what I tell you to do and you, you know, and, and, you know, I don't want to hear any back talk and um, you know, this is your schedule. This is your routine. And it, it didn't matter that I'm like, well, you know, I'd like to tweak it a little. No, no, no. This is what I said. And mm -hmm. so I grew up in that era and I want to kind of shift things to make sure that my kids feel heard and that they can then pass that on to their children because I think that's where a lot of the, um, the negative self-talk comes from within us is because we never had a moment where we were consistently uh, feeling heard by the adults in our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That um, when I was a kid, <laughs> I used to always ask my mother why. And as an adult, I always tell parents, teenagers, kids, the most important word that anybody can have is why. And not only don't don't just ask why, but expect a legit a, a legitimate logical answer. And if you can't get a logical answer, keep asking why. And so I remember one time, my mother wanted me to. I think it was time to leave my grandmother's house. And I said, well, okay, we can go, but why, why do we have to leave? Because I said so. And I was like, I understand. And this just went on for probably maybe three intervals before I thought she was about to take my head off. <laughs> but, um, 
and and another like with my auntie, I would hang with my auntie, my dad's sister, and I would say, I would ask stupid questions. I knew that they were stupid, but she wouldn't talk to me <laughs> because she's not a talker. And so one time she was like, Jamil, you should really think about what you say before you say it. But I was just trying to interact with her. Um, but yeah, that 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 do as I say and, and don't explain. I mean, of course there's a there's a there's a there's boundaries to that, but I totally get that. And one thing that you mentioned was uh, game night with the family. Um, you don't really see much of the family bonding anymore because everybody's busy, work, school, um, video games, or, you know, whatever the case. Um, that's something that's, well, the family structure, period, needs some really work because I know when I grew up, we grew up in a dysfunctional environment. And it just wasn't me. It was almost everybody I knew to the point where you kind of normalize the dysfunction. Exactly. And, and so one thing that I, I do know about heart hardships and depression, and tell me if this sounds weird to you, but I've been in some, some of my most depressed states in life, stages in life, but I've also within that had a blast. Like <laughs> you'd be so depressing and, for some reason, the environment around you had a good time, but you like, uh, I don't know about this thing life right now. <laughs> yes. Is that, is that like normal? To, do people really have good times within? Like, it's like an embedded time that you have inside. Well, the they do. They do. And that's why a lot of people don't realize that they're depressed because there are good times. You know, the ebb and flow of your life, your daily life uh, shifts. I mean, it shifts daily, literally. And, you know, a lot of people, um, a lot of people dismiss the fact that, you know, um, you know, that I might be depressed because they, they, in their head, they're like, well, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days, but they're not realizing how many of those bad days are outnumbering the good days. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Yeah, so because we have those good days, it can totally uh, give you the um, misconception that, you know, nothing's wrong. I'm just, you know, it was just a bad day. But if you, if you were journaling and you were really keeping the tab on like, what are my feelings today? Or what are my feelings? And you go back and look at it over the a week's period of time or a month's period of time, you will then be able to see a more clear pattern. And sometimes that's what, like as a therapist, sometimes I, I give that assignment to my clients so that we can watch their pattern and, and, and it's such an incredible joy to them and so rewarding at the same time to see where they are in the first few weeks that they are seeing me to where they are a few months later, seeing that they are having more good days than bad days. And then this is a, a tangible way that they can actually gauge uh, how, how, uh, how therapy is working for them. So you know, um, and, and you just gave me a thought. I never thought to do this with my kids. I, I think I might do this now, but I think I might give uh, my form to my kids to just, you know, simply a, a check mark, you know, to check like, you know, what your feelings are. Give this to them and say, here, keep up with this every day, because I think it will be very important for them, even in their, their young teen years, to start recognizing their feelings and the, the ups and downs of their emotions. And then we can discuss like, oh, wow, well, this was a particularly hard week for you. It looks like you were sad more days than you were happy. Or, oh, great, this looks like it was a great week for you. Let's talk about like, you know, what actually was happening during this week 
that made you extremely happy or extremely sad. And then we will go through and process it. I think that's a good idea for any parent to do with their kids. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, so by being a therapist, you hear a lot of problems. You, you are absorbing a lot of energy and a lot of outside ideas that wouldn't typically be yours. What are some things that you do to maintain a healthy, uh, you know, mental status? Be, um, what are, yeah, what are some things that you do that somebody else could apply? Now, I understand, you know, the, the, the broad statement is have a healthy lifestyle, eat, eat healthy, sleep, drink a lot of water, but like, let's dig deep into that. And what are some, some things that you do? And, and then even when you're in the, 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 the heat of some anxiety, like something that you automatically lean to to be like, all right, this is my, this is my way out, how I get out of this. Hmm. Well, like you said, everybody's got the usual eat healthy, exercise, drink more water and, and try to get more sleep. Right. That's uh, that's very common things to think about when you think about um, taking care of yourself. But for me personally, I'm trying to do all that. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, I am also I've also started to meditate more often, trying to meditate on a, a more regular basis. Whenever I'm uh, at my uh, desk doing work, if I'm not actually on a call with a client or doing something that requires me to have to like, you know, watch a video to and listen to the video, the type of music that I put on in the background would be like uh, spa music or meditation music or uh, something, something soothing so that it, it kind of helps to calm my my spirit versus you know get me pumped up you know when i want to get pumped up that's like when i'm cleaning the house it's like okay let's put something on so i can dance with it but the other thing that i do is i make sure that my week includes some intentional me time and some intentional self-care now what that looks like for me may be different than what it might look like for you or for anybody else but to to practice um, me time intentionally means I either, leave, well, now we're quarantined, so I don't necessarily leave the house. But now in quarantine, it means that I come down to my, my studio, which is slash my office, slash my um, audition taping room, slash my, my exercise you know, space. And I have created a Zen space. And so I'll come down here and I will either read or I'll put on a show that I've recorded that I've you know, really been looking forward to watching, or I'll go outside and just kind of stand in the sunlight. I'll take a walk and try to be practice, try to practice mindfulness and just be aware of the sounds, the smells, and the, the view that's right in front of me. Um, so to balance all of that out, uh, I, I, I see a therapist, which I mentioned earlier, and I also make sure to um, keep prayer in my spirit. Okay. So another question I have for you, um, speaking of the quarantine, are you getting a lot more inquiries about your services now that everybody's stuck in the house? I am and I'm not. It's, it's interesting the way it's worked. Um, I, had, I had gotten to a point, I'm excited to say, where I was uh, pretty much about to say I cannot accept any more clients. Because, <laughs> yeah, which is good, right? Because yeah. I was getting full, I was full and, um, and I was excited about that. And then the quarantine happened. So the interesting thing about the quarantine 
is that um, a few of my clients who had been regulars for a long time ended up having to drop out because they either uh, lost their jobs or uh, they were uh, furloughed or their hours were reduced. So they either reduced their time with me or they stopped coming altogether, which makes me sad because they were consistent and I knew where they were in their, their growth and know that they, you know, if they had a choice, they would not have stopped coming. So then I've been getting um, some additional calls, uh, interestingly enough, um, with couples. So, you know, everybody's quarantined and stuck in together. So a lot of my newer clients that have been reaching out to me have been couples. And I'm just grateful that they are thinking like, okay, let's go and, and find somebody to help us work through this. But I find that it's, instead of more individual clients, I'm getting more couples reaching out to me because that quarantine is no joke when you are stuck <laughs> in the house and you can't just take off whenever you, you know, and go wherever, whenever you want. Yeah. Well, that's a beautiful thing because, uh, you know, a lot of times when, 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 I, when I hear couples are having disagreements, nobody mentions counseling or one person, one person will mention counseling and the other like, I'm not doing that. So that's a good thing that they're doing that because yeah, I've, I've heard some stories. Oh, that what you just said, what you just said is happening too. I'll have, I'll have the uh, wife give me a, I've even had like some husbands give me a call and say she won't go to counseling or I've heard, I've had women call me and say, I'm trying to get my husband to go to counseling and I wanted to, you know, see if you saw couples and then they're going to have to try to sell him on it. So it, it still happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh. yeah. We, 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 we need to talk to somebody. Somebody needs to talk to somebody and get that off the chest. <laughs> so what, what scholars do you, uh, do you, uh, do you look up to or do you, or you follow their research as far as mental health is concerned? Oh gosh, there's, there's, there's so many, um, I don't even think I can really name one because I, you know, especially on social media, a lot of the ones that I, I decide to follow, they're not, it's not like somebody who's well known, but when I look at their page, I feel in my spirit connected to like their, their way of, of helping others. And I, I'd like to follow them because it keeps me inspired and motivated and empowered. And, um, and I find a lot of useful tips uh, on their pages. So I can't really name any of my, my, you know, particular favorites, but uh, usually, I mean, there's, there's so many that feed my soul. Have you ever heard of Dr. Wayne Dyer? Yes. That is my, that's one of my favorite um, self-help, mental help people in the whole world. Like, I love I, him. I, it was uh, early 2000s. I had just graduated college and I was working for, uh, I think it was an insurance company. I forget the name. And this guy was, I forget how we even got on the topic, but he put me on with uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer's Erroneous Zones. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, i read it. And I read it, and Timmy, it started to um, pinpoint those triggers that that we we spoke about of of anxiety, of self doubt, of um, you know self esteem issues, and uh, and my worthy issues, all that stuff. And it just um, I really was able to address a lot of my daddy issues um, because my daddy died when I was seventeen, mm. and I found myself so. In this book, there's, there's so I, I, 
I need to go back and read it again, but there's this one phrase that I remember and I take with me and I apply it to every aspect of my life, especially when it's not going my way. And so Wayne Dyer said, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. I love that. I love that. I've heard him say that before. I love that. That's one of my favorite quotes too. Yeah, that was a, that was a game changer. And then Mm -hmm. after I finished that book, I was able to go to my uh, my father's uh, grave, his his tombstone, which I hadn't been there since the funeral. Mm. And like something had happened when I was in college. I was with my college girlfriend and we were watching Jason's Lyric. Mm-hmm. And there was a scene with Mad Dog. Mad Dog was uh, what's what's the guy's name? Like Mad Dog. Oh, man. Why am I mind going blank? Um Anyway, so he was playing Mad Dog, and I forget what scene it was, but it started to affect me because I started to see my father in Mad Dog. My father suffered from PTSD. He was an alcoholic. Like, he really struggled after the Vietnam War. And so I'm sitting there watching the movie, and then my throat starts to close up, and I'm like, you know, moving around in my seat. And then my girlfriend was like, what's wrong? I was like, "Mm -mm, ain't nothing wrong. Like, I was trying to play tough. And then she asked me one more time, what's wrong? I was like, And I had never done that before watching a movie. So that, that came, was trigger. Yeah. And so that came to my mind after reading that book. So I said, all right, I got to go to the, uh, the burial, burial site and let this go. And yes. I, just, by, by, just by reading what Dr. Wayne Dyer was putting out. And I went to the, 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 the grave site and I had a conversation with my pops. And I left it all there. And I, I was so light when I left. Like, you, you remember when you was little and you got a spanking and you cried and it was like tears shot out your nose, your eyes. It feels like your ears. Like, I was like, anywhere a tear could come, it was just flowing out of me. I had the, I had one of those things going on at, at late 20s doing that. But it really helped me. And so after that book, I went and I got Wayne Dyer's excuse be gone. That helped me with procrastination. Yeah. And I, I often talk to people. I'm like, man, if y'all not reading these books, man, you are slipping. You are tripping and everything under that because television really, the television, the programming is not going to really give you what you need. No. It's, I mean, you look at movies that were books. The books are always better than oh, the yeah. movies, you know. And, and, you know, you were talking about, you know, books, I have like one of my favorite people to, to follow and like my absolute favorite book is by Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. And the, the name of the book is, uh, the gift of imperfection. Mm. And when I found that book, I, you know, the fir- after the first page, I was like, where's my highlighter? You know, it was one of those moments. <laughs> so I grabbed my highlighter and I read the first three chapters and I was just, I was like highlighting, like it looked like I was coloring the whole page because there was so many nuggets and so many gems in there. And then I lost the book and I was like, oh my God, where's that book? And, and it, within 24 hours, I just said, screw it. I went and bought another book because I was like, there's no way I want to be without this book. And when I got the second book and opened it up to try to figure out where did I leave off and start highlighting there, I found the first book. It had slid slid between my seat and the um, console in the in, in my car, 
And that, so that's how I lost. Cause I was just like, I don't know how I could have lost it. But after that, I was telling somebody about the book and uh, they were like, Oh, well, you've got two. I was like, Oh, there's no way I can let my second book go because what if I lose one of them again? <laughs> but that is a book that I re recommend to everybody. Um, the gift of imperfection opened my eyes to so many things about myself. Like you felt with uh, Wayne Dwyer. I love that book. And after that, I bought two or three more of her books. And but because I, you know, I then went to grad school and had a lot of things going on. I have not finished reading her other books, but I highly recommend Brene Brown's The Gift of Imperfections. Brene Brown or Brene? Brene. It's B-R-E-N-E -E with a little slash Brown. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to make sure I go pick that up. Are there any plans of you writing a book, ma'am? Well, oh my gosh, I have been trying to complete a couple of books for years now. And I made the mistake at one point of keeping all my information, all my notes on my phone, because a lot of times when I'm, I get this, this rush of inspiration, I am out and about somewhere and it's like, I got to write that down. And so I used to write things on scratch pieces of paper and then I misplaced them or they'd get wet or something. So I started typing everything into my phone. Then my phone, um, my phone got crushed or something happened to it and I couldn't get anything off of it. I was devastated because I was like, I had so much in there. So essentially I had to, you know, get some things that I had on my computer and start over, but I'm not giving up because I think that the, the books that I'm writing are going to be very important. And I had to go through a phase of, you know, back and forth with myself like who do you think you are to write a book you know is anybody going to want to mm -hmm. read it what if they don't you know all that negative self-talk and self-doubt I experienced that and it's not that I probably won't ever experience it again but it's been a challenge to just try to finish it because I've I've always thought to myself like you know will anybody even want to read it but i feel like i have a lot to say and i'm getting closer and closer to that moment but i'm working on a couple of things yeah and that's why this uh podcast is called the audacity because mm -hmm. i was having a conversation with myself and the the negative jamil was like the audacity of you to want to talk about some things but then as i i i, I realized i help a lot of people just in yes. you know the conversations that I have, I, I enjoy reading. I enjoy studying. I, I enjoy history. I enjoy a lot of things that's not popular. You know, that's not something, a lot of things that, that are vital in becoming self-sufficient in this life, you have to actually go out and get it because it's not at your schools. It's not in your house. It's not in the social areas that, you, that you're at. Mm -hmm. So if, if it's not in your environment, then why would you be interested in it? But that's why I'm interested in it because I see that it's not there and it's not there for a reason. So it took me a while to finally put the podcast together because this is my second solo podcast. Mm -hmm. I was a co-host um, for the Keenan Tri show. And I just wanted to make sure that when I did my show, that it was the way I wanted to do it. It looked a certain kind of way and I, it, it was my platform. So I could discuss anything that I wanted to, mm -hmm. but the discussion that I want to have are discussions that, are vital especially yeah. in 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 my in our community um I, I i want you know i want to address the voids that we have because the popular people with the platform are making sure they don't speak about it because it's not popular so that yeah so long way around that's why this is the audacity because 
I told that self, the self doubt version of me, sit down and have a seat and, and watch me rock out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's similar to what happened to me. I woke up literally a week and a half to two weeks ago and said, why am I waiting to be invited to the, the Oprah show or to, you know, some other huge talk show to discuss mental health? Right. Why don't I just create my own show? And I literally worked 15 to 16 hour days for a week just trying to put together logo, format, the look, because I knew what I wanted it to be like and thought everybody's at home now anyways. And then live streaming has become a thing, you know, so it's more acceptable that you don't have like this big fancy studio with right. all the lights and graphics and everything. And so why not just do something now? And so that's what I did when I created uh, Tuesdays with Tammy that um, we've now aired well, we've only aired one show. The next show is coming up next Tuesday. And I'm so excited about, you know, the future of it because um, the purpose is to help people feel more comfortable discussing mental health wellness, mental health awareness, and, you know, the fact that mental health matters. And so I feel like, you know, why am I waiting for someone else to give me a platform, create my own platform and do that? And that's exactly what I did. I want people, I need people to see mental health therapy as one of the best forms of self-care that they, they can have, that they can give to themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when does your, your show air on Facebook or Instagram or where is it? My, my show is on YouTube. Um, okay. Yes. My YouTube is under Tammy Von Nordheim and, um, it airs every Tuesday at 10 a.m. And it's usually about uh, 20 to 40 minutes long. Now, is it live? No, I, I decided not to do live uh, just because, like I said, this was like I literally created it all uh, in a week to a week and a half's time. And I knew that in order for me to kind of get it to what I wanted it to be, I needed to pre-record just so that because I, I, I was kind of winging it, you know, but I was like, you know, if I wait, then I'll talk myself out of it. Mm -hmm. I can tweak it as I go along. And actually, I have been considering going live with it as well as posting it on my YouTube. But that's probably going to be a few more episodes down down the road. But right now, it's just simply on my YouTube channel. And of course, I'll be posting, uh, reposting the link on my Facebook and my Instagram uh, platforms. Mm -hmm. Now that's a tech, that's a tactic that I learned from Wayne Dyer, excuse be gone. Uh, mm -hmm. that anything that you want to do, whatever it is, yes, you have everything you need at that very moment to get started. Mm -hmm. Now it might not be the elaborate, huge Tyler Perry studios with explosives and all that stuff, but you don't need that. A lot of the people that have become uh, prominent in, in media, they started with their cell phone and mm -hmm and uh natural lighting you know yes. what I mean? and so I, I talk to people that like man your setup is dope and did I, I i wish i could do that you can do it my yeah. first podcast was used with some headphone earbud the microphone from that plugging <laughs> directly into garage band and okay. recording it and uploading it and getting it distributed uh, across the digital platform so Wow. That's, that's that's beautiful that you did that. And if you ever need help, uh, I can give you some of whatever I know from my oh, stuff. To get. That would be awesome. I, I will be calling you. <laughs> so do you have any plans of any uh, motivational lectures or anything coming up? Or have you have you done any since you've been a therapist? 
Let's see. I have, um, I don't have anything scheduled because everybody kind of shut down once the quarantine happened. And I just finished grad school uh, about a year and a half ago. So I'm trying to think. I have had a couple of speaking engagements. Oh, yes, I have. I was trying to think what they were. I spoke on the Wise Paws tour, and um, it was, they started in LA. I spoke on the one here in Atlanta, and then they were going to DC afterwards uh, for the first year. So I spoke on that tour, and that had to um, deal with women going into menopause. I also spoke um, at an event called When Women Win, and the platform there was simply, you know, sharing, you know, the gifts that we women already possess inside of us and to, uh, to, to recognize and honor that gift from a godly perspective. And so I spoke to a group of women there after I've become a therapist. Now I had, now I had other speaking engagements before I became a therapist uh, that uh, did not really have anything to do with mental health, but I spoke at a uh, convention for Young Living Essential Oils, of which I'm an, an, an oil distributor. I spoke in uh, Texas uh, three, three and a half years ago uh, on the power of essential oils. And I think they had like 10,000 attendees at that convention. And, um, and then, you know, oh, oh yeah, and then I've spoken actually since I've become a therapist, I've spoken at Clark Atlanta University to their group of students. And there, there's some other places. Uh, it's almost like, it's almost like I don't know if it's like this for you with you know comedians, but as an actor, if somebody says, "Oh, what have you been in? What have you done?" I have to think like, "Okay, let yeah. me go find my resume," because <laughs> I don't, I don't really remember right at the top yeah. of my head. I have to go look at my resume. So when I started to say to you the places I've spoken, they were starting to slowly come back to me. Mm -hmm. So do you want? Um so how do you, how do you, how are you funneling your traffic? Um, cause I see that you have the, uh, the Tammy Von Norden uh, show pa page on Facebook and the website is GAWTC.com. Is, do you want people to come through Facebook or go to the website or how are you structuring the, uh, to get the traffic or does it, it doesn't matter. However they get to you, they get to you. You know what? I like to give people the option to do either go to my website, go to my Facebook page or my Instagram, because some people who are on Facebook are not on Instagram. Some people are not on social media at all. So then they need a website. So I like to share um, as many of my different platforms as I possibly can. So the places that I usually share first are Instagram. And Instagram is uh, Tammy underscore Vaughn underscore Nordheim. Uh, that's uh, T-A-M-M-Y underscore V as in Victor, O-N underscore Nordheim. N-O-R-D as in dog, H-E-I-M as in Mary. If somebody is looking for a mental health therapist, they can go to my website. And that is www.gawtc.com. And if someone is looking to hire me uh, as a uh, speaker or to, you know, come speak to their group, they can reach out to me on any of those platforms, but they can also go to my website, www.tammyvon.com. Good. So we got a, we got a question. So there's a question. It says, is it safe to assume that the child is going through something during such a difficult time as now? 
Yes, I would say that. Um, I would say that a lot of kids, they may not be voicing it to the parents, but it's on their minds, uh, especially if they are especially if they are exposed to the anxiety and the stress that the parents may be experiencing during this time, you know, kids, they're worried. I mean, you know, everything just stopped for them. What they knew as their normal, uh, you know, routine, go get up, go to school, come back home, maybe fight with their siblings or something like that, have a snack, do homework, go outside and play, or, you know, talk on the phone to their friends or, or, or meet up with their friends. That that's no longer right now. I mean, and the fact that, you know, when you do go someplace, you have to wear a mask, you have to wear gloves, you have to disinfect everything. It is so different for them. And so, for example, um, kids might be worried that if they happen to get, you know, get uh, the virus or be exposed to the virus, that they may be the cause that one of their parents gets sick. I've had kids voice that to me, like, you know, but I'm scared if I, you know, I'm scared I might get the virus and not know it and then pass it on to my mom or my dad or my grandmother or my grandfather, they have anxieties about this now. And I think it's really, really important that parents uh, have a conversation with them specifically about COVID-19 and just say, what do you know about it? And then share with them the more educated response, um, exactly what it is and say, how does, it, how does it make you feel? Are you worried? Or are you okay? I want you to know that you know if you ever have any questions about it, if you ever have any concerns, let me know because I'm here for you. So yes, the kid. I think it's safe to say that the kids can have some anxiety about this as well. Okay, well that is our time, and I want to thank you for coming on to the show, Tammy. It was a pleasure having you, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, come to your YouTube in a second as soon as we get off here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna follow. I'm gonna subscribe to your page so I can watch some of your. Your gems that you're dropping out here in these streets. <laughs> YouTube is just Tammy Von Nordheim. Okay. Thanks a lot for coming. Uh, thank you, YouTube, uh, Facebook, for uh, joining in. That has been uh, our episode. And uh, thank you for tuning in. And we out. I was trying to get to us uh, the I was looking at the screen. I was like, "Why am I not seeing any questions?" But then I didn't realize that I was supposed to scroll to the left. Oh. And I seen that Chelsea had chimed in, and uh, and I don't I don't know I can't pronounce. It do new. Okay. Yes. Yes, you pronounced it. I, I did. Yes. Okay. And w when I'm listening to my voice, I keep getting tripped up a lot of times. <laughs> Just hearing my voice. But thanks again for coming on. Um, I'm going to upload this, and I'll shoot you the link if you want to uh, listen to it again. I would love to. Would I? Will I be able to post it on my YouTube as well? Yeah, because I'm going to keep this video.